The Pre-Med Year, session number 227. Hello and welcome to the two-time Academy Award-nominated podcast, The Pre-Med Years, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your pre-med success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician. What does driving 200 miles an hour in a circle, basically, and medicine have in common? We'll find out in this episode. This week, I had the privilege of interviewing a fourth-year medical student who matched into ophthalmology, who also, in his spare time, races cars on the NASCAR series and elsewhere in Florida. Again, in his spare time, as a medical student. How does he do it? That's what I asked him, and he will dive into that right now. Patrick, welcome to the pre-med years. Thanks for joining me. Hey, thanks very much for having me on today. So a question I never thought I would ask here on this podcast, when did you know you wanted to be a NASCAR driver? Yeah, <laughs> yeah definitely uh, probably the first time you asked that question on here. But um, I, got, I got interested in racing you know, ever since I was a little kid. I grew up uh, going to the racetrack. My, my father and my grandfather raced. So I think I was six months old the first time I ever went to a race. Don't quite remember that, but had had my hearing protection in. But uh, you know, just grew up every Saturday night there. I, I got started in go karts when I was thirteen years old, and I've pretty much worked my way up uh, from from that point ever since for the last thirteen years or so. So go karts at thirteen—that's that's pretty old to get into racing. That is old. It's definitely it's definitely on the older side. I mean, there's there's guys starting nowadays, guys and girls, when they're five or six years old in, in like quarter midgets or or go karts or legends cars. And so I was definitely on the the older side of the curve, and I've had to play a little bit of catch up uh, during my racing career. But but fortunately, <clears throat> I've been able to continue progressing upwards. So, as a race car driver, many would assume that that's what you would do and and you would go on and and lead a, an awesome life being this star driving uh, around in circles but for some reason you're a medical student where did this journey of wanting to be a doctor come from <laughs> yeah so that is uh that's also a question i get a lot and Actually, you know, when, when I first started racing, the deal that I kind of made with my parents or that they made with me is that I had to get straight A's in school if I wanted to race. And at that time, I think I was just starting like third or fourth grade when, when they were telling me that. And all I wanted to do in the world was, was race all the time, 100%. So that was a really big motivating factor for, for me to do well in school. And so, of course, you know, I studied hard, I worked hard and and started getting, you know, good grades. And uh, at that point, I think I started realizing, wow, I kind of like learning. I like science. I like math. And, uh, you know, school became the primary focus. Racing was always something that I could do for fun. Uh, but school was what I knew would, would secure a good future for myself. So, you know, I went through, you know, elementary, middle, high school, got the A's. I was able to continue to race. And uh, that, that opened the door for me to do some really cool things. Uh, no one in my family before had ever gone to college, and I was the first one to get to do that. And uh, I was really fortunate to get to go to Harvard for undergrad and now University of Miami for med school. And I think it was really during college when I zeroed in on medicine as being what I wanted to spend my life doing as a profession. Uh, I was involved in this club called Unite for Sight, 
uh, basically went around like Boston and Cambridge and gave free vision screenings to a lot of the underserved communities there. And that was really the first time I was able to participate in like any kind of healthcare interaction because no one in my family had ever been in medicine before either. So I think all those experiences really opened my eyes to how cool the field of medicine is. And, and that's what sold me on it. And I know that going far into the future, that that's something that I would see myself doing on a daily basis. So the racing is, is always the passion. It's what I could do for fun. And uh, the medicine is kind of what took over at that point. So it's interesting. I, I talk a lot about having a plan B or, or actually the opposite of not having a plan B if you're dedicated and, and want to be a physician, don't have a plan B and make it that your make that your goal. And so for you, it's like racing was your plan A and, and your plan B was medicine, which for, for most people, it's like, really? Like, how do you have time for that? That's, that's crazy. I'm, I'm interested to know. So a lot of, or not a lot, but I know at least one NASCAR driver whose education is more in engineering because that supports the sport of NASCAR and, and better understanding how the car works and being able to talk to the rest of the crew and tweaking the car. Why, what, what was it about not being a race car driver and, and looking into medicine? Did, did you realize that, you know what, I, I want something besides something that's going to support my NASCAR career? Because as an engineer, you could go and have a, a great life as a backup once racing is done. What what was it? Because you, you even just said that your healthcare exposure didn't really start until college anyway. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so what what really motivated you to look outside of other things that could support a continued career in and around racing? Yeah, it's it's funny you mentioned that driver. So I mean, that's uh, Ryan Newman, and he's yep. a vehicle and structural engineer. And actually, you know, a lot of the younger drivers coming up nowadays try to major in mechanical engineering, or or a lot of them are getting into marketing because the business side of the sport has become so important. It's more important for a driver to have a strong marketing background than engineering nowadays. Mm -hmm. uh, in my case, I actually entered college thinking that I wanted to do engineering, and I started off taking all the prerequisite classes that you needed to do the advanced engineering classes, and it just so happened that all those same prerequisites happened to overlap with the, uh, the pre-med requisites, like required classes, and since they were kind of geared in the pre-med direction, a lot of the applications were more towards you know, healthcare and how it could benefit somebody's health rather than, you know, the application to a, to a car or something like that. And I just remember at the time being really interested in how you can use this, the same basic science that I was learning and you could apply it to a car, you could apply it to, the, to, to a person and to, to make them healthier. And I think on the outside, even though, uh, you know, medicine and racing look like two very different fields and, and you know, topic-wise, they, they very much are, uh, you know, the, the way that I approach problems with my race car and the way that I approach diagnosing a patient, I've realized over time is actually really similar. And I think having experience in both areas has made me better in both. So, you know, with, with a person, you're trying to figure out what's wrong with them. You come up with a differential diagnosis and then you try to get, you know, figure out what's going to be able to treat them the best with the least amount of side effects. And with a race car, you're actually still trying to diagnose what your handling problem is, and you're trying to break down the corner and figure out, you're basically trying to localize the symptom, what part of the corner you're having the worst handling problem in, 
And then what can you do to adjust the suspension or to treat that that will have the least amount of side effects for the rest of the corner? And so I don't know if that's just the way my brain's wired or, or how it all works, but um, I, I really feel like the two have played off of each other a lot. And I think you know, outside of that is really just my interest in, in doing something for a living that's intellectually challenging and that can help people. And I felt like my calling there was more in, in the medicine and healthcare direction than engineering, although a lot of the same skills can transfer back and forth. You know, it's, it's funny. Cars, cars and patients are a lot alike, too. You, you have a car that has a, an engine noise and you have a patient who has a, an upset stomach or some muscle <laughs> aches and you, you schedule that appointment yeah. <laughs> to, to go to the doctor and of course, the day you go to the doctor, the day you go to the mechanic, the car's not making a noise, and the the patient yep. is is no longer hurting. <laughs> so there's there's a lot of tie-ins. It's it's funny you, exactly. you talked about that whole differential diagnosis process. I'm a I'm a computer programmer at heart. I don't know if I've ever really talked about that on the show before, but I think I spent more time in medical school writing computer code than than studying for medical school. Um, and it's it's a very similar thought process of, okay, here's the problem. Here's what I'm trying to solve. I, and and here are the the many different ways I can get to that solution. So it's it's the same process in many different arenas. It just depends on the medium, right? So the yeah. medium for race car driving is is springs and shocks and engines and whatever. And for people yeah. it's it's bones and joints and muscles and so it's, it's awesome. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So it, it, I, I'm still, I'm still intrigued on, on this healthcare side. Was there any exposure for you from, from family members or yourself where you had exposure to a physician or family member had an illness and were exposed to healthcare in some respect where you were like, you, you saw the impact that healthcare could have on people? Yeah. So, uh, I guess there's one other way that the the racing and medicine have kind of come together in my life. And that was actually when I was much younger. This was uh, back in 2001 when my dad was still racing. Um, he had a really bad accident. It was actually down here in Miami at Hialeah Speedway. And the throttle hung wide open on his car and he hit the wall at full speed. And it was a really, really bad deal. And they uh, airlifted him out of the racetrack and actually brought him to Jackson Memorial Hospital and Ryder Trauma Center, which is where I'm currently training as a medical student. So a little bit of uh, a t twist of irony there. Yeah. But, um, you know, through that whole process, he was in really bad shape when they got there and they essentially saved his life. And I was, uh, what would it be, 11 or 12 at the time. So this was actually just before I, I got started in racing, which my mom wasn't too thrilled about. But, <laughs> we, you know, we drove from Fort Lauderdale to Miami every day, which is about an hour long car ride, you know, every day for two or three months. And, and watched him slowly, progressively get better, have numerous surgeries, have doctors from all different, uh, you know, specialties and teams coming in to see him. And it wasn't like I went through that experience and at the time said, oh man, this is it. I need to be a doctor. This is the most amazing thing I've ever seen. But I think anytime something significant like that happens that early in your life, uh, you know, it definitely shapes and molds you in some way and then stays in the back of your head as, as you move forward. So when I got really serious about it in college, when I was learning about it in class, when I was applying it with the Unite for Sight stuff, and I, I think still somewhere in the back of my mind was the experiences I had with my family and with my dad and, and watching him recover, uh, all of that definitely played a role in, in shaping the direction that I went. All right. There's, there's the planting of the seed. 
There you uh, go. You, uh, fa- you found it. I took found took it. three questions, <laughs> but you found it. <laughs> That's all right. Uh, I knew I was going to get there eventually. Yeah. <laughs> so you went to Harvard. So you grew up, it sounds like, in, in South Florida. Yeah, in Fort Lauderdale. What brought you to Harvard for undergrad? Um, well, a lot of it was, was Harvard. I think that <laughs> attracts, attracts a lot of people there. Um, you know, I was fortunate. I had, I had a few options to choose from when it came to college. And one of the, the great things about Harvard obviously is, is they have, um, you know, a lot of financial support that they're able to give to, to students who want to go there. And, and that was, you know, in, in my case, something that was really important is being able to get scholarship to afford going to college. Um, I was looking for a way to branch out and, and do something different. I grew up in Fort Lauderdale my entire life from, you know, when I was born till 18 years old, my parents never went to college. And I thought that that would be the the best way to not only learn in a classroom setting, but also learn, uh, you know, on a social level. And, and I, you know, I, I feel like I got that return from my education there. I had roommates, I had four roommates from four different countries and I lived with them the entire time that I was there. And I learned just as much from, uh, living with those guys, I feel like as I did, uh, you know, working in the classroom. So it was, uh, it was a really cool experience. It was really cold. <laughs> I wish that <laughs> I love Boston as a city. I just wish that they could pick it up and move it somewhere further south for me. But that's just the uh, that's just the Florida in me talking. But overall, it was it was a great experience, and I loved going there. That's that's why I no longer live in Boston as well. It's way too yeah, cold in the winter. Way too cold. <laughs> so you started driving. You said go karts when you were thirteen. Did you mm-hmm. continue racing during college? Yeah, I've I've pretty much raced all the way through since then. Uh, it's gotten uh, obviously progressively more difficult uh, with with the more time consuming uh, school has become. Uh, during college, it was mostly over winter break and summer break, and and we actually got a fair fair chunk of time off for both of those. So. I come home to Florida. I remember uh, my senior spring. Uh, you know, you have one week for spring break, and everybody went to like Mexico or they went to Europe for a week or something. And and I flew home. I worked on my race car all week. We went racing Saturday night, and I won the race uh, right before uh, you know the end of college. So that's kind of always been the the balance in my life: work really hard in school, go home, work on the race car, uh, go race, and and that's continued even through med school. Um, Obviously, like within the last year or so, we've probably only raced three, I think three or four times because uh, the schedule's gotten a lot trickier. But anytime I have an opportunity where it's not going to affect my learning or affect you know, what, I'm, what I'm doing with my duties in the hospital, I'm trying to be in a race car. How do you do that? I, I, I would assume that even though you're a medical student and, and your career, your passion right now is medicine and, and learning it deep down inside you're a race car driver. So how do you how do you balance that desire to want to go race with the need for studying and that that constant kind of nail in the back of your head going you you need to read you need to read you have the board yeah. coming up you have to match you have to do well. Yeah. It's uh you know it, it's really prioritizing and and you know everyone says like the same things, time management and in knowing what you have to get done in what particular order. And, you know, it's funny you bring up the board exams. That's, that's a huge chunk of your life that you dedicate to studying for those tests. And step one and step two are so important now, as far as, you know, being competitive for the match and, and trying to, you know, end up where you want to go. So when it came time to study for those tests, you know, I cleared everything off the table. There's no racing for, you know, this, these next two, three, well, what is it? Four months. 
Um, you focus 100% on school, get through the board exam. You know, you have a week off after that. So as soon as the test is over, I could start working on the car the next Monday and I'll have it ready uh, for the next race. And it, it's really, you know, that's, that's kind of how I plan out my schedule. Uh, luckily, right now, I'm starting to come to the end of fourth year. I have a little bit more elective time. So I know I'll have weekends off, unlike when you're on the wards and you're working six or seven days a week. So I've, I've kind of planned out the races in advance and really cut out the time to, to work on my car. Or if we're going to race in some NASCAR races, I try to work with the sponsors um, to figure out what races on their schedule will match up with with my school schedule, and so that the timing really works out. So I, I have the flexibility to uh, you know fly up to North Carolina or fly to whatever race it is. Have there been any systems that you've used, or or tips or tricks from different websites or or processes that you've used for time management? Uh, I wish I could say I, I had a specific regimen for doing it, but uh, really I just I keep a nice Google Calendar and uh, you know manage everything that way. I know there's lots of really cool apps, and uh, my friends have shown me a few of them before, but I haven't really used any of them. Okay, how I, we've talked on this podcast a lot before. Being a a somewhat non traditional applicant for medical school, it sounds like you. You went straight from high school to college to medical school. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. So you're you're traditional as far as path wise, but you're non traditional as far as your experiences. How much do you think did your racing experience play into your ability to apply to and get into a, a good school like Miami? That's a great question. And after thinking a lot about it and having gone through the whole residency match process just now, I can tell you it really goes both ways. It, it, having something unique, whether it's racing or if you're an artist or if you dance, like whatever your unique thing is, it, it helps you stand out and be unique through that entire process. But it also, you know, raises a lot of questions. And I feel like, you know, having spent the last three or four months interviewing for residency, the first question that came up was, wow, tell me about your racing. And then the second one is, okay, well, it sounds like you're really passionate about this. You know, why do you want to be an ophthalmologist? Why do you want to be a doctor? And so you really have to be prepared for, for both sides of the coin. I think it really, it helps you get your foot in the door, but then you also have to defend it and show that, you know, what you're really passionate about and what you do see yourself doing every day and where your heart really is, is in medicine. And that's, that's sometimes a tricky thing. Cause I feel like, anybody can be passionate about more than one thing. You don't necessarily have to limit yourself uh, to, to one thing in life. And if you do, you, you might be missing out on the, on the other thing that you really enjoy. And uh, I'd say that that's probably kind of carried weight through medical school applications and now also in residencies, having to, to kind of go on both sides of it. There have been in the news lately several other athletes, and, and uh, I'm sure I'll get some flack for calling a NASCAR driver an athlete, but that's okay. No, you won't. <laughs> <laughs> um, the there is a a Kansas City Chief football player who's a medical student up in Canada. Um, you have um, I forget his first name, Roll, who used to play for the Tennessee Titans, who went mm. to Florida State University, uh, my big rival as a University of Florida grad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, he stopped playing football to go to medical school, and now he's a resident, I believe. Um, you, you have these, these people that are doing the same thing that you're doing and balancing these two passions, uh, obviously with role leaving football, but this other medical student that's still playing football, 
why not, kind of going back to that question that these residency program directors are asking you of, of why, why do you want to be a doctor, why not make the most of your racing career now and then go back and do a residency later? Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a good question. And I think a lot of it really depends on the sport that you're doing. So obviously, I'm not as familiar with way, the way football works or basketball, things like that. But racing is, is tough to, to break into and to stay there. Uh, I think the, really the way I got my opportunities to race in NASCAR, because up until two or three years ago, I was just racing on a local level in Florida. I actually won like a reality TV. It was like a driver search competition that uh, Peak Motor Oil had. And the grand prize was one race in NASCAR. And so I actually won the contest. 700 people applied. They picked nine people. There was like a three-day televised contest. I won that and then got to compete in the one NASCAR race. And I finished fifth. And that one race led to five more races and ended up winning one of those and finishing in the top 10 in all the other ones. And you know, you think that that would be enough to plant the seed to have a career take off from. But with racing and motorsports in general nowadays, it's become so hard if you don't have a sponsor that will continually back you for full seasons or at least the majority of the season. Uh, a lot of the bigger teams in, for example, the uh, well, now it's called the Monster Energy Cup Series, aren't going to pick you up. So I feel like from my perspective, I've done everything that I could to you know, blow up, I guess, the, the racing career as much as possible at this point. I've been able to compete at tracks that I've always wanted to race at since I was a kid. I've taken every opportunity uh, that's come my way as far as uh, uh, if there's a race on the table, I've been able to to go and pursue that. Uh, so yeah, I've given that that part 100%. I don't feel like I've left anything on the table there. And I've still been able to keep up the uh, the medical school career at the same time. So in those other guys' cases, if they have you know full time uh, you know football deals or NBA deals or something on the table, I think that'd be a really unique or interesting question to ask them. But as far as as my situation, you know, every race I've been able to compete in, I've I've fortunately been able to find a way to to do that. So right now, still going full throttle on both. <laughs> nice, I, I like the pun there. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think with your background and? And maintaining, obviously, great grades and being a great student, but also continuing this passion for racing, how do you think that's going to make you a better physician in the future? I, I think that as a doctor, you're just, you're going to be busy. <laughs> it doesn't matter, uh, you know, what specialty you're in or how nice they say the hours are with a certain, certain specialty or things like that. You're always going to, uh, to push yourself and try to see as many patients as possible and, um, you know, there's a much bigger conversation there than, than I really know the details to have a, a debate about, but you know, they, they say there's decreased reimbursements. And so as a result, doctors are having to see more patients per hour. And that's been a trend that's been happening for a long time. And so I think that, uh, being this busy at this point in my you know life, uh, balancing school and the racing and traveling places and, you know, getting to do cool things like this, where I hop on a podcast with you and get to discuss all of it. You know, as a, as a physician, you're going to be balancing all of that, seeing patients, doing research, presenting at conferences. Uh, so I think that being as busy as I am right now is, is just going to help prepare me for, for that in the future. What was the hardest part about being a medical student so far? I think the hardest, I mean, the hardest for me was the, was the board exams, uh, just having the, the mentality to sit down and study for 10 or 12 hours a day is 
Uh, and doing that for several weeks in a row was, was something that I had never had to push myself, uh, you know, that far beyond to, to do before, you know, you have finals in college and, and things like that. And you spend a week studying for it and you're like, wow, that was a huge chunk of my life. I just gave up for that test. And then you, you sit down to take one of these board exams and you realize you just spent the last month and a half of your life studying. Uh, you know, that's, that's a lot of pressure. You, I can go 200 at Daytona and not sweat it, but <laughs> you spend a month and a half of your life cramming for a test and you have six or seven hours to make it happen. That's, uh, that's actually pretty daunting. So I'd say that was the toughest part. Uh, third year of course is rough as far as, you know, hours and always working in the hospital and being on the wards, but there's a lot more social interaction, uh, with, with that versus, you know, locking yourself in a room and studying. So I didn't, I didn't mind third year as much. You mentioned going 200 at Daytona, going on those 30 degree banked turns. What is more anxiety provoking for you, being in the operating room or going 200 miles an hour in a car on a racetrack? <laughs> uh, at, at this point in time, I definitely say uh, being in the operating room. And that's mostly because, you know, at this point in my training, you don't really know what you're doing. You're trying to absorb and learn as much as you can uh, every single second versus the racing. I've been doing that for, you know, over 13 years now. And even though I've only raced at Daytona one time and, you know, that was obviously the first time I had been there, it was it was exciting, but it wasn't so much scary. You've had enough seat time behind the wheel even though you're going faster. At those speeds everything seems relative, you know, unless you you bump into somebody or you, <laughs> or you hit something. But uh, you know, you feel like you've had enough experience to be confident in, in that case. And I think that that's one of the biggest challenges of medical school is uh, you're relatively inexperienced compared to everybody you're around and you're learning from at every stage. And so that's, that's really daunting until you can get that knowledge and that experience under your belt. You recently matched into ophthalmology. Congratulations for that. Thank you very much. What do you see as your future as an ophthalmologist? So at, at this point, I really like I've had some uh, great mentors through throughout the last four years. I've worked with Dr. Lamb and Dr. Grigori, who are both at Bascom. Uh, one's neuro-optho, the other one's uh, mostly retina. And um, they've really shown me that you can have an awesome work-life balance and, and be very involved in multiple areas. So, I mean, they're, they're busy clinically. They do a lot of research. They teach the med students. Obviously, they mentor them. Uh, so at this point, I really see myself kind of going into one of those roles in the future and being a part of academics. I think that having that variety of tasks to do every day, it, it, nothing is going to get repetitive or be monotonous. You're always, you know, researching a, a new question that interests you. You always have a new student that you're trying to, to teach and bring along, whether it's a student or a resident. Um, so I hope to kind of have that role. But beyond that, and I know this is starting to get sound really busy, but you know the last couple of years that I've been racing uh, has been part of the the AutoNation Drive Pink campaign. They've been my sponsor, and so the campaign is really to raise breast cancer awareness. We run a special pink paint scheme uh, promotes the AutoNation Curable that happens at the end of every year in Orlando, which is a college football game. All the money from that football game, all the proceeds gets donated to the Breast Cancer Research Foundation. And over the last two years, the campaign in total has raised somewhere, I think it's been about 2.2 to 2.3 million dollars, which is huge. And I only play a small role in that. You know, I drive the car and I'm, I'm a spokesperson, but it's been awesome to be part of something that big. And I feel like racing gives you uh, the platform and the outreach to, to get to a lot of people and to deliver important messages like that. So 
you know, even though this campaign is about breast cancer, which is also something that's uh, near to my family and to me personally, in the future, I, I would like to try to find ways to use the racing to promote things that are important in ophthalmology. And I think that preventable blindness is a huge issue, not just in this country, but but worldwide. And we're coming up with lots of really much more cost-effective ways of screening for vision problems and getting people hooked up with the care that they need to prevent them from going blind later in life. And uh, it'd be cool to really find a way to to continue connecting both of those passions down the road. That's that's huge. It actually, how you're describing that, it reminds me a lot of what Tim Tebow is doing and using the platform of being a professional football player, being now trying to be a professional baseball player. He, he doesn't really consider himself a baseball player or a football player. He considers himself kind of a, a messenger, and he just is using those platforms to get his message out. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I've per- on the periphery uh, followed what, what he's done over the years, and I think it is great when you can use whatever sport you're doing or you know whatever profession you're in really to promote something that's, that's really important to you. And um, I've gotten a little bit of experience doing that the last several years, and I'd like to see how that can evolve going into the future. Well, let's see you spread the message now and and talk to the student who's listening to this and and struggling to find that balance that you were able to find with being a student and being a driver and and how do you how do you help them as they're trying to figure this out and and explain to them that it they they need to push through it and and figure out ways to make it work because it's worth it. Yeah, it's it's tricky, and it's I feel like it's a never ending process. And even right now, I, I can't tell you that I've had the most consistent uh, sleep schedule the last few weeks. I'm I'm matched. Fourth year's about over, and I'm still you know trying to to knock out projects and get the race car ready for some races we have coming up. And you're never going to find that perfect balance. And it really comes down to, uh, you know, you you have to make sacrifices, and you need to know what you're willing to to give up in a certain area to be able to achieve something more in, in a different area. And everybody has their own balance that they're comfortable with. You know, I'm not going to go. Uh, on this this weekend getaway with my friends because I got to knock this one thing out, or I'm gonna go do this so that I can you know have fun doing the uh, the other activity coming down the road. And uh, you know it, it is difficult. And being on the uh, almost on the other side of med school now, I can say it's worth it if you you know you stay true to yourself and do what you want to do uh, with your time. That when you look back on it, you're not going to regret anything. So I've been incredibly busy the last four years, and the racing has only made it even even busier and made school even more difficult, having to to balance everything. But if I went back and had to do it again, I wouldn't change any single decision that I made because at the time I waited out, I was like, "This is worth it," and I put the time in, and and I did it. So for anybody out there listening, that's that's the best advice I can give you. All right, so there you have it, Patrick Staropoli. NASCAR driver, medical student, soon-to-be ophthalmology resident. It's pretty crazy. When, when, you, go, when you think back to your, as, as you're in this, your undergrad years, or if you're a medical student or whoever's listening to this right now, and the commitment that it takes to, to follow your dreams of becoming a physician, and then kind of on the side, <laughs> being a great race car driver as well. Uh, I, th- I thought it was an interesting person to interview because of those time management skills and the organizational skills that are needed. And obviously, Patrick didn't have the, the ultimate answer for you 
And, and I don't think there is an ultimate answer because what works for one person doesn't necessarily work for the other. But I think the moral of this story is that if you have passions outside of medicine, and I highly encourage you do have passions and you continue to, to cultivate those passions outside of medicine as you're going through the pre-med process, the medical school process, through residency even, you need to maintain a life outside of medicine for your sanity. And so again, I, I think that's another good message to send here. So if you enjoyed this podcast, I would love for you to share it with a friend, a neighbor, a classmate, an advisor, whoever it may be. That is my charge for you today. No monetary fee, just go share it with somebody. If you would like to leave us a rating interview, you can do that at medicalschoolhq.net slash iTunes. I want to thank Next Step Test Prep for sponsoring the Pre-Med Years podcast. If you are in the middle or beginning of your MCAT studying and you are having some struggles, if your test scores are plateauing, go call Next Step Test Prep. Go check them out, nextsteptestprep.com. They are known for their one-on-one tutoring service. And I tell a lot of students who I work with, if your test scores are plateauing and you have a month or two left before your MCAT test date, give Next Step a call because they can work with you one-on-one with one of their awesome tutors to figure out why your scores are plateauing. Most likely, it's an issue with you reading the test and interpreting what's being asked of you and what the answers are. So go invest in them. Check them out, nextsteptestprep.com. They have a course that you can use. They have full-length exams that you can use. They have books that you can use. You can also save some money by using the code MSHQ at checkout. Again, that's MSHQ nextsteptestprep.com. Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Next week is going to be a great episode with somebody who works on Capitol Hill doing a lot of policy who recently got accepted into medical school and sharing her journey on what she learned and what she struggled with along the way. Have a great week. We'll see you next time here at the medical school headquarters and the pre-med years podcast. (laughs) 